We'll be talking all about fundraising, what to do during challenging economic times during online fundraising day on October 15th. Join us for engaging conversations on topics ranging from donor engagement to best practices for online fundraising to tracking the effectiveness of your fundraising efforts. Be inspired with new ideas for reaching your fundraising goals. Visit communitycatspodcast.com to learn more. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Melody Kwan, otherwise known as Mellowcat. Mellowcat is, is a cat rescuer and rehoming volunteer based in Hong Kong. Through her network of fellow cat lovers, she's able to get cats to their ideal homes. Some people in the city view cats as a pest and will sabotage volunteer efforts, leading to assistance efforts becoming covert in nature. As a small child, her parents noticed her ability to bond with cats, leading her mom to create the nickname Mellow Cat. Her self-titled YouTube channel, Mellow Cat, explores her life in Hong Kong and experiences living with nine adopted and rescued cats in a 555-square-foot vertical cat playground apartment. What sets apart Mellow Cat is her unique systems that help her not only save time, but create a better lifestyle for both cat and human. She's currently working towards creating coursework to help others create the same ecosystem in their own lives. Help is only an ask away, and it's up to us not to walk by and ignore what's going on around us. So, Melody, aka Mellowcat, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We finally <laughs> meet, so I guess I don't have to explain too much. You can see it in the visual. This is yep. part of my apartment. <laughs> and it's just absolutely phenomenal and amazing and distracting. This is probably the most distracting interview I've ever done watching your cats in the background. It's great. It's fantastic. And it's wonderful. So we'll make sure we get a quick screenshot of this so we can share with folks who happen to be driving. We don't want them to swerve off the road. Um, <laughs> and of course, I can see visually that you're passionate about cats, but you talked a little bit about it in the bio, but you know, really, what is it about cats that make you really feel so passionate about them? Mm, actually, I like all animals, um, any animals. Long story short, even if I'm afraid of cockroaches, I still find them really cute to look at them up close as long as I don't touch them. Um, but I just instinctively know how cats operate since I was a very young child. Um, when I was a kid, preschool, my mom used to tell me that there was an incident that just kids being kids, I went and grabbed a, a cat, I think more aggressive than I should. And what happened was the cat just clawed me and dug all the claws in my hand. But however, I didn't cry. I didn't flinch and I didn't pull back. And I just kind of closed my eyes and didn't move and stay there and hoping that, you know, I didn't startle the cat and somehow the cat would just give up. And that's exactly what happened. And even to this day, my mom would repeat to me, I don't know why you would do that. And I give her the same explanation just year after year. I said, well, if you move, that few dots, that few holes is going to become a few lines. You're going to get shredded. But if you hold it in and don't startle the cat, because chances are you startled 
the cat. If you don't and just kind of hold the pain, chances are they might let go and you might reduce the damage. So since that moment, she noticed, oh, okay, maybe you were a cat in your past life. The fact that you have that kind of awareness since I was like four, I think. And ever since I, I just somehow instinctively know a lot of things about cats and people joke that I must be a cat in this life too. And so, you know, from age of four to where you are now, did you think you wanted to be a veterinarian? A lot of times we hear these things. Oh, well, I always thought I wanted to be a veterinarian and then it changed to this or to that. How did your path develop? Right. So my background uh, is in psychology. And in fact, I had to change um, my the specialization because when we went uh, to the lab studies, just not dissecting, but seeing the animals getting euthanized, it really creeped me out. And I was like, okay, I can't do this. And neither can I be a vet, not because I can't see animals die. It's because I'm afraid of blood. So basically I'll pass out. So that doesn't work. However, I can do all the other stuff that is not, that has, that doesn't have to do with seeing blood, but I actually overcame that. See my t-shirt that I'm wearing today. This is actually my burrito cat. You probably just saw him. He's one of the gray cats here that was rescued from Malaysia when I went there for a vlogging trip. And it turned out um, he was about to die and nobody wanted him. He was just actually sitting on the side of the street after a very violent dog attack. He was about 10, 12 days, just opened his eyes and there's maggots crawling out of his body. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take him. I'll abandon my whole entire trip. And I took out what a vet nurse would usually do because um, given the circumstances, there weren't a lot of 24 hour vets. And they said, okay, the choice is either you amputate his tail completely or you keep the good parts, but it'll take you a long time because it's a cut open body and a degloved tail. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the easy way? And they said, well, amputate everything. That's bad. I'm like, okay, what's the harder way? You have to wash the wounds and dress the wound every single day, maybe multiple times, because as they get active, that bandage on the tail falls off and um, yeah, and do it the hard way, but that will probably take over a year. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I took him as my wounded child, my eighth, seventh cat. And he went everywhere that I went for the next, I think about 400 days. I even took him to work. So I took him from Malaysia to Hong Kong and he just goes everywhere I go. So you became yeah. nurse mellow cat. Yeah. And that's how I overcame my fear of blood. So I think now when we will, well, we're eventually moving back to Malaysia after the pandemic and everything settles. Um, I'm actually going to take up um, vet studies there just so that I can be a better mom. Very, very exciting. That is fantastic news. Before we hit the recording button, I was asking you a few questions being in Hong Kong you know, what's it like for a community cat based on your experiences? You said the neighborhood thinks of you as the sort of the cat lady. And so what what's life like for community cat in Hong Kong? Well, let's start with uh, the most common thing that, that comes to mind when I think of community cats is TNR, uh, trap neuter release. That's actually quite established in Hong Kong for a few reasons. One, SPCA is huge on it. Second of all, we got the um, dissexing trucks or vans that are just mobile. So it's very easily accessible. And in terms of money, it doesn't actually cost that much. If anything, it barely costs anything. You can even get coupons to have um, them fully sponsored, according to my knowledge. And if you take them to like a private vet and you tell them that it's a street cat, basically 
for the most part, they just charge you something symbolically. So from what I see about 80 to 90% of the stray cats that I see are already taken care of in that department, as you can see with, uh, you know, the snipped ear tip. So pretty good here. Yeah. And you were saying that there are a lot of people out there that are willing to help with feeding the cats. And you talked about a shop cat story. And so that that's pretty common. But you also said that in the neighborhood, if anyone has a problem, they're usually calling you. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's actually something that we have to do kind of incognito. Um, so when it comes to the TNR, we leave that to the volunteers and uh, the other charities because they actually mark their territory and everyone already have their zones that are assigned, which we don't really have to fight for that um, because someone's doing that already. However, when it comes to feeding or just keeping an eye on some of the community cats, because there's a lot of cat dumping that's happening in Hong Kong, and sometimes we just have to, it's the people that live in the neighborhood that actually know about the ins and outs because these people just dump them whenever there's nobody watching. And even with the volunteer, sometimes they can't, they, they can't keep an eye on everything. So I have about a network of about roughly 200 friends. And what happens is that I keep everybody on a WhatsApp group, uh, on a broadcast list. So when somebody calls me up that animals or they see animals being dumped or there's wounded or hungry animals, and basically we just uh, find the friends that are living in that neighborhood and uh, they'll go help. And a lot of times I'm part of that as well. Uh, the ones that need to get rehomed will get rehomed. Uh, the feral ones, if they need any help, medication, feeding stations, we'll have that set up. But when I said incognito, it's because there's still a subset of the population that don't like people feeding cats for whatever reason, even if we're not causing any disturbances or we're not making the area dirty by cleaning up after ourselves, they will poison the, the cats. So they'll, they'll follow whatever we do and put poison, rat poison in the food. So we have to be very careful with it. And we don't really disclose where we feed these cats. So that's something that's something that I, I don't know if that happens in your region, but it does, it does happen every now and then here. So we have to be very careful. Yeah, I would say it happens in some areas, some parts of the country that aren't as pro TNR. I find it fascinating that the spay neuter is accessible and and it seems like private veterinarians are willing to do the spay neuter for feral cats and that kind of thing where most of the feral cat spay neuter in the states happen at high volume high quality spay neuter clinics that are like nonprofit organizations like at the SPCA or in a mobile clinic but not much from the private veterinary community and we are experiencing this veterinary shortage too. And so getting appointments is really challenging. So, and it sounds like you still have the availability there um, to get a spay neuter appointment. Oh, definitely. And uh, when you mentioned about the neighborhood, um, the, the people who's in, in my neighborhood or even out of my region, I'm the first person that they contact because they the word somehow got out there uh, that I have nine cats and I live on my own. And at first, people either think, okay, your apartment must be really crowded. You must be either a hoarder or your house must stink. But then when I have house tours, people are like, wait a minute, you have nine cats. I'm like, like, how come I don't see them? I'm like, look up. And yeah. And also because of the system that we have in place, um, my house is actually cleaner than most people's house. Proudly, proudly. So that's why um, I, at the beginning, you mentioned that about the coursework that I'm developing, I was hoping uh, to make like a manual kind of like a 
you know what, like those uh, manuals that mummy, that new, uh, how to say newborn, newborn kids or first time mummies, they, they read these manuals to how to better take care of their kids. I'm making one that's like that. So to develop a system that helps everyone to better take care of their cats, how to better coexist with them and create a system that is both cool to look at, but is also easy to use. And it's just good for everybody. Yeah. So people come to me, um, even with the shop cats, which is a culture that we have in Hong Kong. I don't think it's that common in North America. So these cats actually live in the shop. Uh, It's usually not a food establishment, but sometimes it is. They just don't go in the kitchen and they greet customers and they spend their whole lives there. They're indoor outdoor cats. They're pretty smart. They go out and they come back before the store closes. Yeah. And um, some uh, one, one of the ladies that I've been in contact with for a long time contacted me at 6 a.m. this morning and she said the cat was missing. But we know that that cat isn't the reckless type because he's been around for like 10, 12 years. And it turned out he was stuck at the ceiling of her next door neighbor's uh, shop. And I just happened to go there after hours when all the noise is gone, when everyone's when everyone's shops are closed. And I heard this meowing. I'm like, I think I found your cat. So we were on like a cat retrieving mission uh, that involved a lot of, you know, um, back and forth. But eventually we got the cat back covered in a lot of dust. But it was a great success. With the holidays right around the corner. Curl up with a furry friend and a copy of the new book, How Snowball Stole Christmas by Kristen McKenna. The adorably funny brand new novel featuring one very opinionated, very beautiful matchmaking cat named Snowball. The story is as cute as the cover. It's the perfect stocking stuffer. Clever scallywag of a cute as a button cat residing in a small town, Victorian B&B and matchmaking on the down low, bringing two hearts together all wrapped up like a pretty Christmas bow on a creamy white cat named Snowball. There's no end to the way Snowball can drum up trouble to bring two people together who start out despising each other. This floof will stop at nothing to make the perfect holiday match for her resident humans, even if it means being a little more naughty than nice. Just in time for the holidays, How Snowball Stole Christmas from Kensington Books is available everywhere books are sold. It's a great read. Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay-Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind. Whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting, Dubert is the only system that integrates two-way text messaging, automatic follow-ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com CCM and get signed up today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. 
So I'm looking at your home um, and then see a couple of cats walking around. How did you get from like zero knowledge to you have perches, you have lots of vertical space, lots of different options for the cats for climbing, different textures, it looks like. Where did you learn all of this? And and did you design this on your own? Did you get help? You know, how did you create this magnificent space? Okay. Uh, well, let me say though, that's quite a long question. Okay. So I didn't make all of these. So for some of the pegs that you see, that was actually ordered uh, from Ukraine. Uh, but some of the shells and uh, the crates that you actually, oh, you probably don't see the crates. But for example, this tic-tac-toe item is actually a bookshelf. And some of the wooden crates I have up there is just really a wooden crate. That's actually a wooden crate just from Ikea. Like a lot of these things are just modified from every everyday things. And you'd be surprised. Um, it's not about the kind of gear that we load up on for the most part. You know how you always hear people say, oh, I got my cats these fancy things, but they don't play with it. And they ended up wanting the box. That's kind of like that. So to answer your question, how did it come about? So, because I've had cats since I was really young, um, I think about 13, and I come from a family where nobody likes animals. And so I'm the only person. And my mom, she's like, okay, it's not that you can't have any animals. It doesn't matter if it's a hamster or a cat, you're going to have to pay for everything out of your own pocket, your own pocket money. I don't care if you do paper routes. I don't care what you do, you pay for it. Okay. And if something happens to your cat, you're going to have to take care of it. So I always was mentally prepped. And for me, like you, I like to prepare well in advance. So when I got um, a kitten, my first cat was a kitten at like four months, I already anticipated that one day she's going to get old, have arthritis like my grandma, that she's not going to be able to jump. I sometimes lay down on the floor and look up and see what it is that they see. I think that was the starting point. And I realized, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Things aren't like what I think they are when I'm that low to the ground. So that's how it started. And as a kid, I always had the habit of trying to mope around the house like a cat. As weird as it sounds, I would be on all four and I'd be crawling around. And that's when my mom gave me the nickname Mellow Cat and she would pet me on the head like I'm a cat. And that's when I found out, okay, when I am this big, this low to the ground, I have to remodel everything. And I have, in, even with the cat shelves, it's not about how high or what they are. It's about, can they grip onto it? Okay, they can. What if they fall? What are they falling onto? And is that height high enough for them to do the writing reflex? So that actually takes a lot of work because if it's too low, they can't. If it's too high, they can, but I guess our ceiling height is not to that point that it's too high. Um, I also have to protect a lot of the stuff that's on the floor in case I actually fall on corner. There's nothing that have sharp corners. And even the ones that have sharp corners are all protected. So all my tables, all the all, all the corners are kind of like kid-proofed. Yeah. It's like it's like having, I always tell myself, it's like having kids that are like flying ninjas. So when I have that in mind, suddenly everything becomes very intuitive. <laughs> that makes sense. That's great. So when did you decide to take all of this public and put it out on a YouTube channel and become an influencer. How did that all happen? Actually, that didn't happen until the recent years before the stuff that I did was just kind of like one-on-one -on -one and I didn't really have like a concrete 
um, community because I was not I I wasn't that technologically savvy until one time I went on a rescue mission and I happened to uh, left like I, I had my GoPro on and I was like oh it's kind of cool to see to see everything in action and it's so much easier to explain to other people the troubles I went through uh, when I'm rescuing when I'm trying to catch them how not to get shredded I'm like okay. I'm going to document this. And that's what I'm doing now. My channel, it's not just sharing the cute moments, but also snippets uh, about what uh, the hacks this cat mom have. It, it's just little things. Like I, my best friend asked me, what's the difference between you and a vet? I'm like, well, vets talk about medical stuff. They'll give you direct solutions to something, which is great. They'll tell you what needs to be done. But for me, I'm a mummy of nine. Well, specifically a single mummy of nine. So there must be some hats. There must be some hacks, tips and tricks, something up my sleeve so I can juggle all these kids and still have a life and not be disheveled. So I think that's the biggest differentiation. And I thought just sharing it would actually help a lot of people because if I can make nine cats work in a vertical apartment, in a 555 square feet apartment, I think to my audience, that's mainly for now, it's mainly in North America. I think it'll help them even more because it makes them feel it's like, oh, if she can do it, I, I can probably do some of this. And so far it's been working okay. Right. And it's not just survival, it's thriving, having the cats thrive in that environment and you too, and not feel like you're, you know, inundated with cats. What would be some of your best hacks that you'd like to share with our listeners? Okay. Um, vertical space beats floor space. For the most part, and I'm speaking from uh, the for, from having a multiple cat household. If it's one or two cats, it's more easy to manipulate a lot of things. But when you have a whole community of cats, sometimes it's their interaction or the lacking thereof, and the fact that they don't all have the same personalities. So statistically, it's much easier to have two cats that act the same. But it's much harder when all nine cats have that same type of habit or personality or the predisposition. So what happens is that, for example, if somebody comes through the door, uh, there's about, let me see, four cats that would immediately go to the ceiling to their safe haven. And in under normal circumstances, in houses where there's no vertical space or little vertical space, they would hide somewhere where they usually wouldn't hide in a lot of cases. That's actually an indication that they don't have a safe haven because they usually don't chill out in those places that they that they panic hit in. Whereas my cats hide in their lookouts, which is typically where I would place a surveillance camera, like in the corner and where they can get all the confidence from kind of, you know, all the oversight and everything. And that's where they hide. And you can tell from the body language that it's not like they're scared, but because of their, uh, because of their personality is like, okay, I'm not a people person. I don't want to interact with strangers. I'm just going to watch you from above. I'll come down when I feel like it, but I won't, if it's not, I don't, I don't feel like it today. And it makes them very confident and also very relaxed. That's something that um, a lot of people don't realize. And I actually didn't realize how important it was until I have that souped up of a place. And uh, also with scratching furniture, my couch is very intact. I don't have a leather couch, but my couch has been around for five, six years. There's only the occasional nicks from them kicking off the couch when they're chasing each other. 
but not from overtly scratching because they have sufficient, more appealing scratching surfaces, vertical, horizontal, diagonal, sisal rope, uh, what is it, cardboard, uh, rug, different textures, different lengths, different configurations so that they can actually get into whatever position they want because they, they have different scratching um, habits and their age is different. So that's all taken care of. So I can't have a conversation with you without talking about litter boxes. How do you handle those? Uh, it's right actually behind me. Do you see it right here? Do you see how they're, it's, they're stacked up right there? Oh, yes, I see them. Yep. Yep. So it's, it's like a double shelf. So what happens is that I have one, two, I have nine litter boxes. Two of them are open face. Three of them are, top, four of them are top loaders. Three of them have uh, like a side loading situation going on. So what happens is, oh, let's see if I can get you a better view. I think you can actually see it from here. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, because as I said, I have cats of different ages and of different habits. And sometimes I do have one that is a semi bully, but he's not actually that bad. Um, so what happens is that there's multiple things for them to select from and they barely have to share litter boxes unless they want to, because I scoop them twice a day. Yeah. So lots of stuff. And even with the crates uh, that you saw up there, there's always two exits. So in case they're really threatened, they can always go out the other end. So they don't feel intimidated going into a hideout spot. And I don't bother them. So you've really crafted multiple pathways sort of in the, in the air. There's always two exits for everything. So no one's going to get trapped. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. very exciting. Very interesting. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's just that anticipation sometimes they might not need it, but just giving them that extra security to let them know that, okay, there's reassurance that there's always an emergency exit in case anything happens. That actually gives them a lot of confidence. Even my most skittish cat. Yeah, he has no problem actually spending a lot of time up there. So it seems like you've got some really good plans up ahead for mellow cats, friends, animal assistance. You want to share a little bit more about your future plans? Sure. Uh, so this started, remember the about 200 people network that I have that's here? That's actually not all in Hong Kong. That's actually a global network. It's composed of my friends here in Hong Kong and in Canada. That's where I grow up. And a lot of my followers that are in North America and in Southeast Asia. So it's a network where basically it's just a collection of people's location, their name, their email and phone number, and rather or not, they're capable of rescuing, fostering, and or just simply passing uh, messages along when animals need help. So what happens is that when people contact me or when I come across animals that need help, be it physically or just somebody dropping me a DM, then the system would automatically find the, um, the members that are in that region. And then it'll just send them the prompt and say, hey, this cat, this dog, this ferret, whatever, needs a loving home, needs a foster, then these people will get the messages. And I always tell everyone, even if you don't like animals, you can still help. Even if you don't have what it takes, you can still help because most of us would know somebody that knows somebody or probably directly just know somebody already. So it doesn't really, it doesn't really hurt just to you know pass a message. And that's how um, I rescued Burrito. I spent 
half a year in Malaysia, back and forth, flying from Hong Kong to there. I don't know anybody there, but I just asked, I just kept asking people, do you know anybody? If you don't, do you? So I ended up finding his uh, foster home there for just temporary uh, foster home. It was from a person that lived in my hostel that knows somebody in Israel, that knows somebody in Taiwan, in, that knows somebody in Australia, that used to study in Malaysia and found my foster family. Yeah. So I thought that's, that's the power of asking, right? So obviously don't walk by somebody knows somebody. That's right. The world's not that, it's not that big if we got the internet. That's great. That's great. If folks are interested in finding out more about your YouTube channel, your social media networks, or how would they find you? Ah, so uh, as I mentioned, my alias is actually my nickname. So it's Mellow Cat, M-E-L-O-C-A-T. So it's Melody and Cat kind of combined together. That's on my YouTube. And if you're on Instagram and Facebook, it's Mellow Cat Mom. We have a very friendly community. It's basically what I call my virtual family up there. Um, everybody or most people are actually cat lovers. So if you want to join, you can join us as well. And uh, yeah, that's also Mellow, Mellow Cat's Discord. Excellent. Uh, anything else you'd like to share with our uh, listeners today? Yeah. Don't walk by just when you think you can't do anything. You'd be surprised about the power of just sharing and asking when it comes to saving animals. Because I think with all the animals that we're euthanizing every day or the ones that are looking for homes compared to the amount of humans we have, I think we can all find a little space to accommodate them. It's actually easier than we think. Fantastic. Well, Melody, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And I think we might see you at the online cat conference coming up in January. And so folks are interested in finding out more, take a look for the online cat conference. But thank you so much for joining me for today. And we'll see you at the conference. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. See you all. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.